By the way, you are supposed to sing along. That's how this is. <laughs> that's how this is supposed to work. So, uh, so we're thankful for that. All right, the Book of Ruth. We've been uh, last three three weeks. This is week number four. Been talking about the person that I, the person I would want to be, and the little in parentheses is that I clearly am not. Um, we talked about Jonathan. We spent a couple weeks talking about. Uh, Jonathan, the characteristics in regards to his life, his concern. Jonathan is at a, at a very, very young age, uh, possibly as young as 15, was commanding a thousand soldiers and winning victories over the Philistines. Um, and, he, and he believed that God could win all battles, whether, um, you know, even when others fled and they were totally outnumbered, he says, what is it to God to save by many or by few? Uh, Jonathan seemed to be somewhat of a spiritual advisor to his father. It seems like every occurrence in the Bible where Saul is messing up or doing something incredibly stupid, uh, Jonathan's not there. There's like no mention of his name whatsoever. Uh, when, when he spares the Amalekites and King Agag uh, and the cattle, uh, there's no mention of Jonathan being involved there. When he talks about no food for the battle, uh, Jonathan is one who actually takes food. He doesn't hear his father's instructions. Uh, sacrificing... Uh, Saul doesn't wait for Samuel, and the kingdom is removed from him at that particular point. And even the story of Goliath and David and Goliath, I believe had Jonathan been present, Jonathan would have been out there fighting Goliath, and we would be like, David who? Um, but um, Jonathan wasn't there. Uh, the priests of Nob, 80 priests are slaughtered by Saul and Doeg, and uh, Jonathan is not there. Uh, the pursuit of David, as they chase David all over the countryside, Jonathan is not with Saul as he pursues David. And then the, the final act of Saul going to the witch of Endor, again, there's no mention of Jonathan or Jonathan's part in that at all. So it appears that, you know, and when Jonathan does show up in his dad's run, he's always giving his dad advice. He stands for what's right. He tries to protect his friend David. He doesn't need credit uh, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Well, what about Jonathan? Jonathan, he doesn't care. <clears throat> just wants, to, you know, just wants the victory, and uh, he accepts God's will concerning the kingship. He basically knows that David's going to be the next king, and that this kingdom's been taken away from Saul and Saul's family. Uh, Jonathan knows this. He accepts this, uh, and he believes that God will keep His word to David. My dad won't find you. My dad won't kill you. Someday you'll be king, and someday I'll reign alongside of you. Now, Jonathan is killed in battle, so that last part does not come to fruition. But David knew that when Jonathan died that he had lost a great ally, <clears throat> and he eulogized it from the standpoint, we need to teach our men, our, to teach them to use the bow as Jonathan used the bow. The beauty and might of Israel is what he calls Jonathan. It's everything that was good about Israel is, is who Jonathan is. Jonathan never backed down. He was loyal. He was swift as an eagle, strong as a lion, and a great love that he had for David. Lessons from Jonathan's life where he was aware of and accepted God's will for his life and his situation. He stands for what's right, even to his own hurt. Saul would say, do you understand? As long as David's alive, you will never be the king. And he goes, well, even if David's dead, I'll never be the king because God has promised to take the kingdom from you. He's unselfish, he's courageous, he's not covetous, he's not jealous, he has a love for God, he has a love for the people of God, willing to serve, shows initiative in battle, he's loyal, even 
loyal to David, loyal to the people, loyal to God, loyal to even his father, despite all of dad's mess-ups. He has a history of longevity in regards to a spiritual walk from the time of his youth to his death. Jonathan is serving God and loving God, and he has a great testimony. <clears throat> Second person we looked at is Ruth, and that's, we're still there this morning. The story of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. Uh, and again, the, the book of Joshua is a book of victory. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as the children of Israel working their way. Well, let me go back. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And starting in Exodus, we have, you know, Moses and the children of Israel working their way through the wilderness 40 years to get to the promised land and all the things that go along with that. The exit from Egypt all the way to Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law as they're ready to enter into the land. They enter into the land under the leadership of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is victory, 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 win, 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 with the exception of a, of a, a small defeat at Ai. Uh, every battle that they fight in the book of Joshua is a win and a conquest and success. And then, John, then uh, uh, Joshua gives over the leadership to each individual tribe is now responsible for their own area to defend their own turf, their own land that they've been given. There is not one leader over all of Israel. Each tribe has their own tribal leaders that are supposed to fight and defend their land. But at this particular point, everything sort of goes bad. Uh, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he would deliver them into the hand of their enemy. And uh, they would suffer for a time, and then they would cry out to God for help, and then God would send a deliverer or a judge to come and rescue them. And it's, it's a book of defeat. And so you read the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is an uh, interesting book. Once again, if you're a junior high boy and you want to get interested in God's Word, uh, start in the book of Judges. You will love it, every bit of it, okay? Uh, it talks about cutting thumbs off. It talks about uh, cutting toes off, somebody running through till their guts came out. Um, it, it is wonderful stuff. You'll love every bit of it. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, again, my recommendation, if you're a junior high boy, start in the book of Judges. You'll love every story that's there. And, uh, but, it's, but it's a sad book of defeat. And, and the story of Ruth occurs in the middle of this book. D during the time of the Judges is when the story... So it's a bright light and, and a bunch of very, very dark, uh, dark stories. But... It starts out because of famine. Uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their family left Bethlehem of Judah, Judah and went to Moab. Altogether, they would be gone about 10 years. And while there, Elimelech and Naomi, their sons married Moabite women. Malon marries Ruth. Chilion, their other son, marries Orpah. And over a period of time, Elimelech dies. Naomi's husband dies. <clears throat> And it mentions the fact that Orpah and Ruth uh, and, and the sons you know, took care of and provided for and took care of Naomi in the absence of the father dying. But then the boys died. Both boys died. Both Malon and Chilion died. So what's left is three women. Naomi and her two daughters-in-law is what is left. And finally, Naomi decides she wants to go home. I'm going to go back to Judah. And uh, you've been kind to me. You've been kind to my sons. Why don't you guys go home as well? But Ruth and Orpah made a pact. They made an agreement with each other <clears throat> that we are going to take care of Naomi. Uh, we're going to, you know, whatever it takes, you know, she's been good to us. And 
whatever that relationship is, and again, this is a mother-in-law. This is daughters-in-law and mother-in-law, okay? And um, this, is, this is a special relationship, but I, don't, I, I think sometimes we pass over this fairly quickly, but uh, we, we don't need to do that. Uh, these, guys, these two are, you know, we're going to take care of mom, and, and that's, that's how it's going to be. And, uh, but finally, Naoma talks Orpah into going home. Uh, it takes some doing, but with difficulty, she says, this, what has happened is all my fault, and sort of implying the fact that maybe we should have gone back to the land, maybe we never should have left the land, maybe we should have trusted God in the time of famine, I don't know, but this coming to Moab seems like a bad idea, and God is judging me for it, and somehow your husbands have died as well, so uh, I'm sorry this is my fault, but there's no advantage in sticking with me, I don't have any more sons for you, and you might as well go back to your family and back to your home. And maybe you'll find a, a, a nice young man that would be willing to marry you. And at, at the very least, you'll be taken care of by family and be around people that you know and love. And Orpah finally kisses her mom, mother-in-law, and says goodbye. She goes back to her people, back to her gods, and back to her way of life. In, Ro- in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 16, that's where we'll start. And Ruth said to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. All right, Naomi, that's enough. Please stop asking me to leave. My mind is made up. Please stop asking me to leave. I want you to listen to these things. I know you've heard them before. But listen again as Ruth makes her commitment and says, For wherever, whither thou goest, I will go. It's like wherever you go, I'll be with you. Wherever you lodge, wherever you decide to set up housekeeping, and wherever you decide to stay, I'll stay with you. I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And thy God, my God. I'm going to stop there for a minute. And and I'm thinking someone should use this as a wedding vow. Don't you think? Seriously, this is, this is a commitment of a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law, but that sounds like a wedding vow. Um, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, in-laws and outlaws, will be my people, okay? Uh, this is the, the little-known fact that most young couples never get a full grasp on because they're looking at each other's eyes and they're like, oh, I love you so much and I love you so much. They never look beyond that and see there's family. There's other people. Who are all these people at Thanksgiving? Where did they come from? Okay. Uh, your people will be my people. And how awesome is this? Thy God. Do you realize at this particular point, I, I, first of all, contentment, or commitment is I'm going to go where you go. Contentment is wherever you lodge, that's fine with me. Richer or poorer, better or worse, you know, that kind of thing. Your people will be my people. I'll have communion with them, even though I don't know any of them. But thy God, my God. We see how, and we've talked about lots and lots of times, we, we've talked about how Ruth makes a commitment to Naomi. But do you understand Ruth is making commitment to Naomi's God? 
as well. Do you understand that somewhere along the line, even, the, even though Naomi goes, oh, I'm bitter and things that God has turned against me and everything, my, I lost my husband, I lost my two boys, and even with all of that, evidently Elimelech and Naomi or Ruth's husband, Malon, somebody had a testimony for God and for right. Naomi is going to badmouth her God. She's going to say, he's, been, he's done evil to me, and I'm bitter because of it, and you know, God has done it. And, and Ruth says, I want the same God that you have. Who wants the same God of that? You know, I don't want that God. But evidently, in the normal course of life or in the normal process of things, Naomi and her husband were a testimony to these Moabite girls. To the point where Ruth not only says, I, I vowed to be with you and take care of you, Naomi, your God will be my God as well. I mean, Solomon doesn't even do that. Solomon, when he takes all these wives, he sets up idol worship for all his wives to you know, follow after their gods of their own choosing. And, and she says, I'll go back to your homeland. I'll go back to your people. I'll go back with you. I'll stay with you. And I'll worship your God along with you. We'll worship your God together. That is quite a statement. That is quite a testimony from someone, either, like I said, Elimelech or Naomi or her own husband. Um, I am, thy God will be my God. And then, how about this part? 17, where thou diest, I will die. Even, even, even our situation, if this is a marriage vow, we say, till death do us part. Well, she says, if, if, for example, if you die in Bethlehem, I will remain and stay in that area, and that's where I will die too. I will make that my home forever. This is a commitment to not even, even after you're gone, even after you're gone, I will still stay by wherever you choose. Where you die, that's where I will die. Where you're buried, that's where I will be buried. And then she puts her, like a curse on herself, the Lord do so to me and more also, if I ought but death part me in thee. Well, Naomi, it says, gives up. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then Naomi left speaking unto her, said, stopped asking her to leave. It's like, I, I guess she's going, to, she's going to go. So the two of them, verse 19, so the two of them went as they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about and said, hey, is this not Naomi? She's been gone for 10 years. Hey, Naomi's back. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Who's bitter? She is. Blaming God for what has happened. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. So don't, don't be calling me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. What is missed in this? She said, I went away full, and a husband, two sons. I came back empty. Thanks, Mom. Right? Ruth is standing, Ruth is right there. I came back and that's all I've got to show for. 
she literally doesn't show appreciation even for Ruth's presence. We'll see how that changes in, with time. But she said, I'm empty. I, I've got nothing. Nothing. Doesn't realize what she has. By the way, God can take a little bit and make a lot of it out of it. Ask the, ask the lad with the lunch. Okay. God can take a little and make a lot. I was, I was full, but now I'm empty. Failed to recognize what she had in Ruth. Chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, a man of Elimelech, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess, and by the way, that is how she is called time and time again, reminding us of the fact she's not a Jew, she's not a Jew, she's not a Jew, she's a stranger, she's a foreigner, she's from Moab. Most of the time, the Moabites were enemies of Israel. Many, many battles, many, many wars fought against Moab. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him that is in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field with the reapers. And her hap, or happenstance, was to light upon a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. You think so? Think it was an accident? Not likely. She decides to work to provide for both of them. Literally, even in the history of of Israel, God made provision for this, made provision for the poor. She wants to glean in the fields, not as a worker, or not as a hired hand, but as a poor person um, looking for a handout is basically what it amounts to. They were given instruction. It's interesting if you want to look at these instructions. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, this is instructions to the landowner and the harvest people, okay? Um, when you reap the harvest of your land, Thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of the field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of the harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shall thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. He basically says when you when you clean up a field and you're getting the wheat or the grain or or the grapes or the vineyard or whatever, he says, you don't have to get every single drop. Don't have to get every single grape off the vine. He said, if, if you leave some, that's fine. Matter of fact, I want you to leave some so that the poor can come in and, and, and get a dose, okay? Uh, after the field's been harvested, you know, take your car, pull off the side of the road, go and get yourself some, you know, melons, okay? Um, <laughs> or potatoes, as the case may be. I don't know. But the idea, the idea is leave the corners, for the poor people to glean in the corners of the field. And you don't have to be like locusts, okay, eating every bit and every bite. It's all right to, it's all right to leave a few. Uh, we, we had uh, recently this past time with cherries. We have one cherry tree in our yard, but it produced so many cherries. After about three or four hours of picking these cherries, you know what? The birds can have the rest. It's like, you know, I'm feeding the poor birds, we'll let them have them. Because <laughs> it's, it's like, I've had enough of this. Let me show you some other verses. When you reap, this is Leviticus 23, when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make a clean riddance of the corners of the field which thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. He says, I want you to leave part of it. And again, this is the same idea. And by the way, what Ruth has to do, though, 
Ruth has to go to the foreman or the harvest person and say, is it okay if I, you know, so basically what she has to do is humble herself to the point where she's asking. And again, she's not a Jewish, a poor little Jewish girl. She's a Moabite girl. Okay. And so they have to equate this with, I'm the girl that came to take care of Naomi. Could I please glean in your field? And so she literally has to humble herself to that point to, to ask. Uh, she is given permission to do so. Deuteronomy, the passage is similar. When you cut down thy harvest in the field and thou hast, you forgot a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. It'll be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hands. It's all right. You don't have to get each and every drop, each and every one. Uh, one of the things when my wife and I go, if we're going apple picking or strawberry picking or blueberry picking, she has no idea when to stop. I do, because I, I have a tired button in my body. <laughs> this is enough. I look at that, this is enough. And, and um, same thing, I remember one time we went out, uh, this, is not, this was not her fault, this was my fault, but we went out, we were down in Florida, we went out scalloping. Okay, scallop, scallops are those things that look like the shell oil sign. Okay, we went out scalloping and we came back with tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons. And these are not easy to clean. You have to open the, you gotta open the shell up, you got to pry the shell up, you got to break the back, you got to get the guts out. If you're lucky, you get, well, maybe that much of a scallop. Anytime you, by the way, anytime you go to a restaurant and they show you a scallop that's this big, it's something else. It's not a scallop. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but anyways, you know, hours, it, it, I don't know, it took us three, four hours to pick these things up. Three, four hours into cleaning them, you know. The people that went with us, I said, you know what? I'm done. They're like, what? What do you mean you're done? I'm done cleaning. I'm done. Everyone from this point on is yours. You can have them. They're like, What? Yes, because I'm too tired to do it more. And it's like do you, knowing when to quit, knowing when to stop. And he says, you know, just don't go back. You don't have to clean it all out. Look at verse number four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. He greets them with a, basically what we would call a Christian greeting. Seems to be one who loves God. They answered him, the Lord bless thee. That's how, that's how your day should start every day at your job. Okay. Walk in, walk into the uh, assembly line there. The Lord be with you. Oh, the Lord be with you too. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's how your day should start. Um, Boaz came and said, the Lord be with you and the Lord bless thee. And then they said, then said Boaz unto his servant, whose damsel is this? He looks about and uh, he notices Ruth, Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you later that there is nothing in the book of Ruth, nothing anywhere that describes the appearance of Boaz or Ruth. There's no place where it says Ruth was gorgeous, she was beautiful, she was a fair maiden, nothing like that. There's nothing there. Now, the Bible has been known to do that. It says Sarah was extremely beautiful, Rachel was beautiful, Tamar, and so forth. And, and so others, Esther was, you know, won, actually won a beauty contest to, to be the queen of Persia and and, but here, nothing is said, but somehow Boaz notices Ruth. 
Maybe it is how she's dressed. Maybe she's dressed differently. Maybe she's dressed like a Moabite woman. I, I do not know. Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers said, It is the Moabitess damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, she came and asked me, I pray thee, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from morning till now. Uh, and, and, you know, she went to the house for a little while, but she's been, she's been working from morning till, till present. Then said Boaz to Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Listen to me and listen carefully. Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from this place, but abide here fast by my maids. I want, you to, I want you to know not only today are you welcome to glean in this field. I'd like you to come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Don't go anywhere else. Abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field which they do reap, and go after them and stay with them. I will charge the young men that they will not touch you. They'll leave you alone. There'll be no hassle from any of the workers. And when you are thirst, the same vessels that the workers drink out of, go to the vessels. You're, you're, you're free to drink out of those. Drink out of that which the young men have drawn. Later he will invite her to eat with the reapers when they sit down to, to a meal. Uh, you're welcome to... When my workers are sitting down to you, you're welcome to sit with them and eat with them. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me? Seeing I'm a foreigner. I, why, why are you being so nice to me? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, before you even got here. And how thou hast left your father and your mother. You left the land of your nativity and you're come to a people that you know not anybody or not, knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. The Lord give you a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel in whose wings thou art come to trust. The God that you said you trust, the God that you said he will be your God, may he give you a full reward for what you're doing. Boaz recognizes the sacrifice that this woman has given up. He says, it's because of your characters, because of the type of woman you are. He said, You've, you're sacrificing. The least I can do is help provide for you. I want you to glean in my field. Basically, he said, I, I promise you, you won't do any better anywhere else. I promise you. You'll be safe. If you need water, you come up where the workers are. You can get water from them. Hey, you, if you want to sit down and eat a meal, you can eat, you can eat with my workers. Please don't go anywhere else. Please stay here. She said, why are you being so nice? Because I'm going to be God's instrument to repay you for the kindness that you've shown to your mother-in-law. You showed this kindness before in the land of Moab, and, it, and even that was, it's been reported to me. This is the kind of testimony we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have a testimony so it's reported that this is the kind of person you are. Since your husband's death, you left your mom and dad, you've left your homeland, new customs, new people, new culture. May God bless you for your unselfish acts. May the God in whom you come to trust repay you and reward you. Skip down to verse number 15. And when she was risen up to glean, she went was done talking with him, and she basically left to go back to work. Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, reproach her not. 
I don't know whether she knows our rules or our customs or not, but if she gets, she wanders off from the corners of the field, so what? Let her go. Leave her alone. Where she wants to go, let her do it. And this is my favorite. Let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that which she had gleaned. That was about an epith of barley. I want you to accidentally drop some. I don't know. I, I don't know why this came to my mind, but here we go to like a place where you're feeding the animals, whether it's a petting zoo or a fish hatchery or something like that. And you got all this food and you're throwing it out there and you all of a sudden notice that that one over there, it's not, it's not getting anything. I mean, it just really isn't. The other ones are pushing it out of the way. And so on purpose, I'm going to make sure that this piece of morsel of food or this carrot gets to that animal. And you're like, and then some other steward goes, okay? And it's like some, you know, somebody stole it. And no, no matter how much, how hard it is, it's like, so here's the guy carrying a weed. He looks behind him and he goes, hmm, that's Ruth. Oops, and he stumbles and he falls. And then all the other women, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this works. But Boaz says, I want to make sure she has enough. Take care of her. Provide for her. And he chooses to be God's instrument. Sometimes we pray, God, please bless so-and-so, and God, please do this for such-and-such. Did you ever look in the mirror and say, maybe you're the person that's supposed to do that? Maybe you're the person that's supposed to bless them. Maybe you're the person that's supposed to go talk to them. Maybe you're supposed to be the person that gives the money to help them out. Maybe it's you. Boaz recognized the fact that, you know, I, I want God to bless her in the way, and, and he says, I'm going to do my part. Chapter 3. I've got to speed up just a hair. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, sent her. She's, she's reaping and having much success, by the way, and she keeps coming home, and Naomi goes like, you are either the greatest, fastest worker of all time, or... <laughs> and she said, my daughter, may I suggest to you that you continue to glean in this particular field? Uh, it seems to be working very well for you. Please stay in this place. She goes a little further. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well for thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred. So what she now suggests is she says, honey, I finally recognize that you've been good for me and you've been taking good care of me. It's now time that I look out for your well-being, that you have some rest and somebody to take care and provide for you. You've worked so hard. And finally, Naomi takes her eyes off herself and she turns it to Ruth. Do you know what makes her bitterness go away? That's it. Personal story and for what it's worth. My father died when I was 17. My mom was 41 when my, when my father died. I was the oldest of three. My mom immediately went to work full-time, and I'm in college. My, she's still raising my brother and sister, and you, you just get back at it. You just, you just have to go, go fight, win, do what you can. Eleven years later, my mom remarried. And 
she married this gentleman who had never been married before either. And the two of them, for six years, were, were married. And then he died of a heart attack, massive heart attack, and died. And when I was talking to my mom in the days following his death, I had never seen my mom like she was so despondent. She was so uh, pitiful, I guess, for lack of terminology. She says, what am I going to do? She says, and, and, it, and she was actually more distraught than when my father died, which bothered me just a hair. <laughs> but at the same time, it was when she finally explained, all the kids are grown. I have nothing. I have no one. I'm all by myself. Nobody needs me anymore. I'm not needed. I'm left alone. And she was pretty much, woe is me. My sister and I didn't know what to do with her exactly, but my mom had a background in nursing. And so we contacted somebody that my sister knew that worked with volunteers at a hospital. And um, we tried to set up a meeting, like a lunch date, to surprise my mom and kind of throw this on her. And she figured it out and she canceled. She wasn't going to go, wasn't going to have any part of it. And I'm like, hmm, my mom's smarter than I thought. And so, but knowing that we children have always been smarter than our parents, uh, we figured out another way. And finally, finally got my mom involved with a volunteer program at the hospital, um, like a pink lady type thing. And she worked and helped out, actually helped out in the emergency room. When my mom started volunteering in the hospital, they had a, you could not volunteer for more than 20 hours a week. That was the limit. Guess how many hours a week she volunteered for? 20. Guess when she stopped thinking about herself? When she started working and helping other people. When you took your mind off yourself. Oh, Naomi's like, oh, I'm so bitter because I've lost my son. I've lost my both sons. I've lost my husband. I'm like, oh, I'm so bitter and God has been so mean. When she starts thinking of Ruth and says, what can I do to help Ruth out? She's been good to me. She's been providing. I, I should do something. When she starts thinking of other people. Naomi's whole outlook on things completely changes. The change in Naomi would be a wonderful study as well at this particular point. But she says, Ruth, my advice to you is this Boaz guy, I think, he's, I think he likes you. He's one of our kinsmen. Here's the plan. You understand, if you marry a rich guy, you'll never have to work a day in your life. <clears throat> That's the plan, okay? And so... Um, I want you to let him know that he would, if he asks you, that you would say yes. And so the next paragraph, the whole section of chapter 3, is uh, Ruth basically going and laying at the foot of Boaz's bed. Not a customer that I would recommend in this day and time. Um, <laughs> but she lays at the foot of Boaz's bed. He wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, Whoa, what's this? And she basically says, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm available, you know, if, uh, if you choose to take on this responsibility. And Boaz goes, man, uh, yes. She proposes to him. He says yes. Um, but he says there's a nearer kinsman that I have to worry about. And he responds yes because of this. Look at verse number 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. I'm going to do my best 
to be able to take you as my wife and, and provide you with an inheritance. Fear not, I will do unto thee all that thou hast required for all the city of my people know that thou art a virtuous woman. Everybody knows it. Well, he takes on the responsibility, and to make a long story short, the guy who is a little bit closer kinsman uh, gives up his responsibility, goes like, nah, my wife would probably kill me if I took another wife. That probably would not be a good plan. And so he goes, nah, I'm out. Okay, that shark is out. And um, what happens is Boaz takes Ruth. And the response of the people in the city, chapter 4, verse number 11, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses, the Lord make the women, or the woman that has come to thy house, like Leah, uh, like Rachel and like Leah. By the way, if you, count, if you count concubines, Rachel and Leah, they had 12 kids. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, Ruth, this is so awesome, this is so great. May you have 12 children. Ah. <laughs> but are they blessing me or cursing me? These two built the house of Israel. And do worthy in effort and be thou famous. We want you to be worthy and famous. And Naomi's complete outlook changes on this. So Boaz, verse 13. Um, Boaz takes, uh, where am I? Took Ruth and she was his wife. They went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, and that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loves you, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne this grandchild for you. Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse to it. The woman and her neighbors gave it a name, and their son was born to Naomi, and they called the name Obed. There is a son born to Naomi. That's her grandson. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Thy daughter-in-law that loves thee has been better than seven sons. As soon as Naomi took her eyes off herself and said, I need to do what's best for Ruth. Let's see if we can make this work. And Boaz and Ruth join up together in marriage. A child is produced and the inheritance is going to go on. Ruth was faithful. She was selfless. No personal agenda. Sacrifice of her personal goals. Humility. She was respectful. She trusted God. She's beautiful on the inside. Again, there's no mention whatsoever. No mention whatsoever of, of her attractiveness as far as physical beauty is concerned. But the other thing I find to be extremely interesting is our character of Boaz. Uh, turn to the next one, please. Boaz's dad's. Uh, you're too fast. Back up. Boaz's dad's name is Salmon, like the fish. So our fish illustration earlier was good. Salmon and his wife had Boaz. Boaz and his and Ruth had Obed. Obed had Jesse. Jesse had David. This you can see clearly. This is the line of the Messiah. Salmon's wife's name was, and yes it is, Rahab the harlot. 
Rahab the harlot and Ruth the Moabitess are listed in the lineage and the line of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Back up again. What kind of parent, what kind of man was Salmon? What kind of wife was Rahab the harlot to raise a son like Boaz? Maybe Boaz would have a heart for the underdog. Maybe. And again, what kind of a testimony was Naomi? So the Ruth said, your God will be my God. Character traits of these two, Jonathan and Ruth, are very foreign to me, but certainly something to aspire to. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Thank you for showing us from your word. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factorievillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.